Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Blix. This is Amber. This is Paul. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding somebody that's really special, no matter what they look like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this week, we are breaking from our family-friendly demeanor, and we are going to get wild and crazy with the topic of alien love. We are not talking about alien mating rituals. We are talking about inner species getting down and funky. Yes. This is going to be an explicit podcast, which means that we are going to be talking about adult subjects, of bodily functions, and things like that, We are not going to be using obscenities and things like that. For those of you who are listening to our podcast and don't look at things like, you know, tags like explicit or whatever that are on the various podcatchers and such, we just want to give you this warning right now that, you know, if if you have young ears or sensitive ears, we may go some places where the squick factor is pretty high. So we just want to give you fair warning now. Yes, we will be using medically accurate terminology, as Amber just put in our Skype chat. We will be being as biologically correct as possible. Now, wait a second. We will be using euphemisms like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not just the medically accurate terms, I'm sure. Let's try to you know, keep from offending sensitive ears as much as possible, because that's not what we're here for. This is not some kind of a hookup alien show. We're talking about alien love. It may be the love that cannot speak its name, but it's love, okay? Exciting and new. Come aboard. <laughs> or your IDF explorer has just wandered out into the ville. Right. Boo-coo, boom-boom. Right. If you want to check out something really cool, you need to tune in to the TriTac Podcast. What's that you say? TriTac? What's a TriTac? TriTac is one of the oldest role-playing companies around. They make games like... Fringewood. FTL 2448. Hardwired Hinterland. Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Designed for D20 and Savage Worlds, these games will kick your dice into overdrive. Whether you want to combat the denizens of the underworld, travel the galaxy, get crazy with bimbos, or travel the multiverse and do it all, TriTac has you covered. Go to TriTacGamers.com to see what it's all about. That's T-R-I-T-A-C Gamers.com. And check out our weekly podcast at TriTacSystems.Podbean.com. Or simply enter keyword TriTac in iTunes. You're gonna love it. So again, we're talking about where one race and another race becomes attracted romantically, sexually, uh, and seek intimacy with each other. 
Trav, how does something like this happen? Well, obviously, there's going to be a matter of proximity. If you have two IDET explorers or two bureau agents or two ca- uh, crew members on the Ardana New or aboard a ship in FTL 2448 space or even hardwired hinterlands, we're going to be covering a lot of games tonight. By proximity, you develop feelings and, and a dynamic toward another sentient being, and things happen. And it could be vastly different. I'm, we're we're going to be going from human to mixie to uh, something that John suggests in the old TriTech forums, um, the sentient animals in Hardwired Hinterland. Folks, we're going to go there tonight. But usually these these dynamics, these relationships come about by just proximity with each other. You interact and just something sparks. See, we're talking about intelligent beings here. That's not something we have an experience with in our own world outside of our own species. Okay, But in a world like a fantasy world or a science fiction world, especially a, a high science world, you have the possibilities of developing a love of the mind, which then translates into a desire for physical intimacy, is very possible. I mean, it's really Beauty and the Beast, right, Trev? Yeah, yeah. You have just somebody who is unlike you and just something is there. And it's going to probably start psychologically, obviously. It's going to start because that that's where all it starts. It's it's a f- psychological attraction. You just feel a compatibility, a spark, and then you're going to go about trying to somehow express physically. And then there's also just the fact of it being human habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just look at humans, once upon a time, it was absolutely absurd to even consider black man and white man, black woman, white woman, something interracial. It was absolutely unheard of. Now it's something we don't even bat a lash at. Now we are opening doors to other avenues, uh, same-sex relationships. It's still something that we're getting used to as a society. Society, but something we're pushing for. So who's to say some point in the future, alien love cross species is going to be something that's completely accepted. What are some examples from movies and books of cross species love? Galaxy Quest. Oh God, Galaxy Quest. Yes, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub's character with uh, Lorelai, I believe her name was. Where Sam Rockwell just saw they went, oh, that's not right. Yeah, and that was a great thing because they had this moment where Tony's looking at her and she's looking at him, and he sees the tentacles, but he looks in her eyes and he just shrugs and starts kissing her again. Yeah, and then that's when Sam says, oh, that's not right. <laughs> he sees what happens, but anyways, we don't. Men in Black. Men in Black. Which part, Pip? Which one? No part in specific. I, I just think it's sort of assumed since so many aliens are hiding and pretending to be humans. They still have the, the skin suits, so there's still a matter of humanity. I And obviously it, it would be implied if something goes on where the skin suits are off and they're alone. What about in that one, I think it was Men in Black, the first one, where, uh, 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 what's his name, he helped 
the woman in the back seat give birth to a baby octopus squid thing? Even though she was in human form, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's looking at me. <laughs> okay, well, the TV show Beauty of the Beast with Ron Perlman and uh, Linda Hamilton, they spent three seasons on this. Yes. Yeah. From the very beginning, they had a connection, uh, a frisson between the two of them. And it wasn't until the third season that they actually went ahead and, and actually made it a real physical relationship. They never got a chance to consummate their relationship, but the the research scientists in Alien Resurrection and the, well, aliens. Brad Dourif played um, Dr. Gediman, and there's that one scene where he's basically, you know, kissing the window at the aliens. Uh, Paul, you mentioned Star Trek, or, or, I mean, I think that's still kind of their humanoid, humanoid. That's human. No, they weren't, because, I mean, granted, you know, that Star Trek, you know, an alien is a human with a bug on their nose. Okay, but that's just poor, you know, poor budget for that kind of thing. I was actually thinking of uh, an episode of Star Trek Enterprise, where he goes across to the completely alien ship where he had to spend three days in decompression. They're entertaining themselves in a holographic room, and she shows them these crystals. We use these, and we communicate at a deeper level, and <laughs> it's actually the male who winds up pregnant. Yeah, he end, yeah, Trip Tucker ends up with, like, these small nipples on his forearm, and when they realize what it was, you know, you're hearing a little bit of snicker, and he's like, all right, this isn't funny. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but also on Star Trek, they had lots of examples in Next Generation and also on Deep Space Nine where... Dr. Bajir was handling the biological aspects of reproduction and carrying a baby. Way back in original season, Zephram Cochran and the mother thing that was keeping him alive, she was in love with him. The energy being. He just, he just didn't realize energy being. He just didn't realize it. And it was only at the end when she turned into an actual real human that he realized that he had always been in love with her, too. Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, in fantasy, there's lots and lots of examples of species creating... All those half-elves, half-orcs. People who have dragon blood in them and all kinds of other things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in some cases, you say, oh, well, they shape-changed into a human or whatever. But the point still is, is that it was possible to happen. And not only was it possible, they wanted it to happen. Oh, God, Pip brought up a good example, Avatar. Oh, yeah. Human and Navi, and I mean, even after... Even with the Avatar, Natiri still fell in love with Jake for Jake being Jake. Even when she found his human body, yeah. it didn't matter that he well, wasn't really a Navi. She cared about him. Right. There's more James Cameron purposely designed the Navi so that they were, well, hot to humans. If you've actually seen the original designs, they were really alien. The original versions were really alien, and, and you would have to actually probably have a hard time being convinced he'd fall in love with it. I find the whole premise kind of really a stretch. You need a you know magic, or you need to toy with human chemical brain chemical reactions. Well, he was operating inside a Navi brain. And I disagree with you, Paul, because, I mean, look at how people love their pets. Oh, yes. Kissing them and holding them and sleeping with them and, you know, going further than that. And we don't want to go there. No. But the point is, is that if you put an intelligent mind inside of a, a, an animal or something non-human, I don't think it's at all a strange or, a, you know, uh, unexpected that you would see this kind of connection happening between two two beings. It won't just be platonic love, but real, you know, love has its subconscious, you know, pheromone chemical level that 
you're not going to reproduce interspecies wise. You're right. It's a challenge. It'd be more of a challenge. Let's table that for now, okay, about how to surmount these kinds of physical problems. To, kind of, to, to continue back on what we were talking about, which was how does this happen? There are a number of other situations that have nothing to do with you and the other person being like-minded. There's also compulsions. The most common one is in fantasy worlds, the filter of love, love potion. I think they even have those in D&D, the, the type of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but they don't make them permanent, and there's no reason that they couldn't be permanent. You drink one of these things, and the next person that you look at or the next person of the opposite gender, not necessarily the opposite species, you look at, you fall madly in love with. Age doesn't make a difference. Size doesn't make a difference. Obviously, species doesn't make a difference. Your heart and their heart could join forever. Or what if the alien species falls out of the binary normal? What if they have more than male and female? And that would be what a GM call, but I mean, essentially, it would still work. I mean, in the uh, TV show Alien Nation, they have three genders. Oh, yeah, yeah. FTL 2448, the blocks had, I think, originally had eight sexes, and they got pared down to six. But still, that's a lot of, you know, there's a reason why blocks are good with with bureaucracy. And this is an alien that kind of looks like a like a moon pie with a lot of tentacles underneath it and eyes all around. Yeah. Okay, I have another question then. Ants. Ants have their sexed casts and their unsexed casts. Would a love potion be effective on a an alien species that followed a similar trend where worker drones don't have any sex whatsoever? Not as in intercourse, but as in they don't have any identifiable gender. Worker ants are all female, but female by the fact by the lack of other form of genitalia. But they don't necessarily. The worker ants don't have anything for reproduction because they are workers. It is the queen that handles yeah. the reproduction. Or, or like bees. I mean, basically, you feed royal jelly to the uh, to a to a pupa that you want to turn into a queen depends on your relationship with the creature. Okay? Uh, in the um, Heinlein book, uh, Have Space Suit Would Travel, they have an alien creature who's called Mother Thing. Now, she doesn't have anything that, on her that looks like a mother. doesn't look like female in any way. But as soon as you communicate with her, you instantly know that she's female and that she is a motherly female. And that's why she's called Mother Thing. If you're using a filter and it has that restriction that it has to be somebody of the of a different gender, then it's gonna it's gonna be you know cluing into whatever things there are to identify that. So you know, and and it may be there may be some races that it doesn't trigger you onto at all. It just depends on how you define th- that magic. And again, it could be the love potion is to make you fall in love with the next being you see. In which case, well, it's whatever it is. There's another possibility, which is some animals, some species, whatever, produce large quantities of pheromones whenever they are ready to mate or to create a bond pair. And if it happens to be that humans or whatever your race happens to be is sensitive to that particular pheromone, you may not have a choice in the matter. Another way of getting two species together, so to speak, is with the specialized pheromone packages. Yeah. So you smell right, at least. On a pheromone-related tangent, you know, 
our own super secretive labs in the Department of Defense and whatnot have experimented with pheromones as a riot control agent. You're basically going to carpet bomb a crowd with pheromones that would induce love-like feelings and get everybody to relax, calm down, disperse, and go away. So, wait, are you saying that they're trying to bring the hippie generation back? That that would be ironic, wouldn't it? Everyone, love and peace. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Yeah, you turn a rioting, burning, looting, destructive mob into a hippie love-in. Wait, 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 wait. So, so stop all the pillaging and just go straight to raping. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, all jacked up on pheromones. Yeah, Peter, you can't rape the willing. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, 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 and with those pheromones, but, everyone would be willing. Oh, boy. But, of course, as we all know, according to our legal system, that makes you, that makes you unwilling. So, you know, regardless of what you think, you know, even if you really were willing, you'd still be counted as unwilling by our legal system. So are there any other ways of... Divine intervention. Divine intervention. Thank you. <laughs> In one of my Bureau 13 episodes called Bridesville, USA, everybody who came to this town suddenly found themselves hooking up with the next person they saw that was appropriately gendered to their preference. And though they didn't really care too much about age or weight or other things like that. And they were deeply and solely in love, you know, the deep soul love. And they were just running off to the, you know, as soon as they could to the justice of the peace and get married and then going home to get, you know, carry off their lives together. You know, this was the influence of the God of love, Cupid, who happened to be there because he'd gotten disgusted at the commercialism of Las Vegas and they left Las Vegas. His great aspect of being love just bled out into everybody around him. A God would say, you two should be together, therefore... I shall make you, you know, your minds and your hearts as one. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I just never realized that I deeply and tremendously love you. Another example of um, a, a divine intervention, this was a god. It wasn't like a, a benevolent god. Uh, it was the Maenad. I think it was the second season of True Blood. And uh, apparently there was this a Maenad, which is I think an ancient Greek god-like, beast thing something some kind of divine something or other its sheer presence was causing people to just have sex left and right they were having orgies and not remembering the next day yeah and don't forget good old zeus he was a horned dog he may have been a dog a couple of times he was a swan he was a goose he was a shower of gold a bull and he had kids of out of every one of those uh, couplings all right, so here you are, and you, you found your, your perfect mate in another species. What are the plumbing issues? <laughs> oh, plumbing! <laughs> incompatible plug meets incompatible socket. Okay. Not incompatible anymore. Yeah, there's, there's a term that Eric the Enabler uses, uh, pre-isolated mating mechanisms. And I looked at him, I didn't understand, and he goes, I go, what? And he goes, parts don't fit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, in Spider Robinson's novel, The Lady Slings the Booze, which was about a uh, house of prostitution uh, where they had a, diff- a, a more of a uh, holistic attitude toward sex. One of the things that they taught them was is that if you've got ten fingers and a tongue, everything else is gravy. 
There's no reason why you cannot make the other person as happy as they need to be. Just because the plumbing doesn't fit doesn't mean that there aren't solutions. And I mean that both euphemistically and literally, because in our own society, there are many lubricants that are available. There are many uh, chemical things that make changes in skin temperature and friction and sensitivity. There are certainly a whole... Oh, yeah. Motion, lotion, massage oils. Yes, yes. There's a whole array of parts that can be made out of jelly and uh, plastic. of Silicone and yes. Silicone, stuff like that, to make up for the missing parts. Yes, I have a friend of mine in Ann Arbor, and she runs an adult boutique. And yes, there are things and materials that can be made into parts that could help the incompatibility of interspecies... Love and mating, yes. As long as you have the time and the resources, you could create anything to enable what is currently impossible. You know, you're on your date with your Demixie girlfriend. You got to bring along the uh, the Brillo pad and the uh, and the long handled uh, bathroom brush. If that's what it takes. Yeah. <laughs> that assumes that both species derive satisfaction or pleasure from the act. For Demixie, there may be no pleasure nerve endings it may just be biological imperative and that's it yeah that's true i mean assuming of course that they there isn't such a thing as orgasm in the other species okay it doesn't mean there isn't other things every species i know of likes to be petted in some fashion why would there need to be more than just that i mean what 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 else would there i'm just curious what else would there need to be wouldn't that be enough spoken like a guy I knew it was going to go there. It's like, oh, guys are so stupid because all they care about are their dumb caveman orgasm. No, that's not what I'm saying. saying. <laughs> well, the way I'm thinking is beyond humans, beyond Dimixie, what if somewhere out there there is a female of a species where their procreation is dependent on the female reaching orgasm instead of the male? Depending the species, I'm reminded of uh, Fry and what's her name from the Lost City of Atlanta, where with mermaid, they're mermaids basically, and well, they like fish. They well, they they lay their eggs, and then the male fertilizes the eggs, and th- that's the extent of their sex. And it could be as simple as with something like that that uh, it doesn't require pleasure. Maybe it's a release of pain. So. In, in the female's case, they, they need to lay these eggs. So they start developing these eggs. It becomes painful, so they have to lay them. You know, and then maybe that triggers something in the male that he has to get rid of his stuff. And you know, there's some kind of genetic biological drive to, to drop it there. Right. Well, in that case, there's not a plumbing issue. So we were actually talking about plumbing issues. If you don't need sex, then, then that's fine. It's just it's off the table. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. You know, but if you do want to have that kind of relationship then these plumbing issues come into play. As, as we were talking about how you can have a, a mechanical aid that simulates the parts that you need, with enough cleverness with computer programming, you could have an artificial sex part that goes on your partner and one that goes on you. But as your partner does certain things that would be normal for them during intercourse, it translates to what would be the equivalent for you on your side, if on one side, you know, you're pounding on tympanic membranes, okay, it gets translated on the other side to 
let's say, uh, a flare of multicolored lights for a, a creature that might be sensitive to light as part of their mating rituals. The point is that you could set it up so that there is an equivalency between the two so that the, both sides get what they're looking for, okay, what they need in order to be fulfilled in that physical relationship. Because right now, we have phone sex, we have, you know, internet sex, and it works for people now, so it's something even more believable and doable. Say we've got a, a couple, and, and they connect on, a, uh, on an emotional level, but let's say it's uh, some alternate human type of setup, and the female doesn't have the plumbing. And I'm just, to me, it doesn't matter if it's the male or the female, I'm just picking, let's say it's the female. But they want to be together. So you, you could have situations where the male satisfies himself in another way with the female, and then he has to do something completely different to satisfy her. Right. You know, so you, you may have a relationship where uh, the, the sex that they're having. It's not simultaneous. It's not simultaneous. Right. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not simultaneous. And that, that might actually be a common thing with inter, interspecies breeding, or not breeding, but interspecies relationships. Uh, you know, one side takes care of the other, the other side takes care of the other. Yeah. As long as everybody basically gets what they want, it sounds pretty plausible. Now, one of the biggest problems I would see in the whole plumbing issue would be if you could, if you did not have any desire or even physically possible to do it, unless you were in your cycle where this is this is part of my reproductive cycle. And we can't do it unless I am. And I, that only happens for two weeks out of the year. That could be a problem if you're in the case of like a human or a dolphin, which basically is in sexual readiness 24-7. Well, there could be a number of solutions, some kind of a um, polygamous relationship where there was you had more than one relationship and you just kind of staggered them so that that was okay. Or you could be chased until that magic two-week period came, and then they'd be like lions where they uh, have a, do it 100 times in a day. Ah, uh, pun far. Yeah. Yeah. Pun far. You know, these are the kind of things you, you're going to run into. If you're in love with that person, you're going to have to deal with that. You know, that's the sort of thing that the you and the GM and the other characters are going to can have a lot of fun working with because you, you can spend an entire year of game time, setting it all up for that magic moment, working out all the special things to make it special. And you know, there's lots of things you can do to make it fun if you add that into your game. Then you get deal with the species that are, well, asexual. They either breed by budding or everybody is a, is a potential mate for them. You know, they're the two versions of that. Looking at the uh, incursion book, and there's two of them, Kudala and Adaimu are both uh, asex are both single sex species. The Kudala are basically look like giant celery stalks. Okay. And they're single and they're single sex species. And the Daimu, well, they look like gumbies, and they're flat. Then the other one is the uh, Enhivers, which is the one that's made out of sticks. Each stick is a actually a, a single hiver, and it's a colonial organism, for being you know made out of a couple. Thousand uh, nivers make up a niver, and I'm going. Hmm, that would be an interesting species to have have relationships with. <laughs> Never mind the splinters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like having a, a, a being made out of like the little walking stick 
insects. Yeah, and the more sticks you get, the smarter they are. Oh, you look too smart for you, dear, and just yank off a y- bunch. There you go. You're about the right intelligence now for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do you think? Um, uh, back in the original Commonwealth, mm-hmm. do you think this was like something that the Commonwealth was totally down with? Was this not an issue with the original Commonwealth? First of all, there was a level of ethics to be in the Commonwealth, the client status rules and all that. I think there was a certain matter of ethics where because it was brotherhood and interspecies relations, that would also be taken into account where after a while you're going to have these species, psychology is going to come into play where there's going to be attraction. I am sure that the Commonwealth did not have a problem with interspecies relationships. Oh, and this is infringeworthy, folks, if you're getting jumped around. We jump around like this because we've got basically five games here that we're going to be dealing with this in. I would think ethically and societally, they wouldn't have a problem with it. These are not monolithic cultures. So there will be those among the the Termelon and Commonwealth who are basically going, it's not a uh, Termelon, it's not right. That attitude will still be there. You know, the, and then, of course, there'll be the other side, too, going, oh, so you and you want to have kids, but you're two different species. Not a problem. I'm a Termelon. I, 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 can, I can make sure you can have kids. <laughs> I was just thinking at that super tech level, it doesn't really matter. They yeah. are masters of biomanipulation. Yeah. You'll just grow an appropriate species body and have your consciousness transferred to it. So or, you have a human and a demixing the love. Well, somebody gets to decide if they're going to swap bodies and become the other species. Okay, uh, human and demixing would grow you an organic suit that taps into your, into your nervous system so you can have the, the full-blown experience. You're still human. You're just wearing a demixing body. As part, as part of the get-up. But what is easier to do is uh, we already know that there are worlds out there because of problem portals where when you go through, you find yourself in the body of an alien there. A loving couple could quite easily go through uh, a portal, find themselves in a couple that, of, of a native, an already paired couple in, in, on the world side, and engage in whatever possibilities there are for that race. As a matter of fact, you could go around to a lot of different worlds uh, that, that are totally alien to even you and your mate and experience lovemaking across many, many different species. Bow chicka wow wow. Wonka wonka. <laughs> Was that brown chicken brown cow? <laughs> Fringeworthy, a unique trait shared by so few, a gift or a curse to those that can transit a portal accessing the extra-dimensional network, a pathway to a million million portals to a million million other worlds, worlds filled with terrible wonder or shocking beauty, populated by denizens other than human and motivated by their own values, a creation of a race so advanced the physical laws of the universe became not barriers to their own creative drives. Will you shoulder this burden and step onto the paths for your world? Adventure in the million, million worlds of Fringeworthy. Fringeworthy is a role-playing game by TriTech Games. Available at TriTechGames.com. Come explore the worlds of TriTech Games. Explore the worlds of Fringeworthy. In a super science type environment, the Demixie could say, Hey, you know, it's it's time for you to be a Demixie so that... I can enjoy, you know, real Demixie type uh, physical relationship. 
because I've already been a human for like two years for your benefit. No, I don't want to wear the human suit again, baby. No, don't make me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Crab? Yes, Pip. Is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> Not while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> How would the Golden Horde handle a bi-species couple? Would they immediately go into huge xenophobic meltdown if one of the member of the Golden Horde brought home uh, an alien mate to his family? I would say no, as long as it wasn't one of the royal family. If it was somebody who, who was never going to be put in a position of high power, I don't think they would care. I mean, they travel and integrate and... and they would move in and breed with all people. You know, they would they would invade an area, and then their people would systematically take the women and and breed with them. I can't imagine that they would have a big problem with it. I mean, other than like I said, you know, if uh, the prince was doing it, that might be an issue. But other than that, I don't think so. Jonathan Swift inspired alternate, and he encounters the Hyman. You know, the intelligent horses. Oh yeah. Probably even less problem him coming back home with Trigger. Oh, yeah. Then he would be coming home with, say, Demixie. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, just while we're saying this, uh, while we're talking about this, because this is a running gag since the last Total Con, uh, if if it was either Ben Gerber or Jay Libby on uh, on on the fringe paths, um, there would definitely be a goat lover somewhere. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Le- leave that in, because I want them to hear that. That's okay. In John Varley's Saturn novels, which starts off with Titan, it's an artificial world, and inside they have a centaur-type creature where they have both male and female organs. They have an upper torso that is either male or female, but then the lower parts are going to be swapped one way or the other. You'd have a part that was very human-like, but then you'd have another part that was very unhuman-like. So you, you could have this whole issue of, well, I, I'm glad to meet your boyfriend, but just make sure you put a tent over the part of him that isn't human. If I remember correctly, it was a really mixture, too. They would have a male part in the front and a female part in the back, or a female part in front and male part in the back. I think they were always one or the other, and they just swap position, depending upon what the apparent gender was of the centaur part of the body. I don't... What? No. 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 Kind of leading into the whole reproduction thing, too, which we've already mentioned that there was, you know, a lot of examples of that in Star Trek. But a lot of times reproduction can be a real problem because while you may love the person, once they become a mommy or, or a daddy, depending upon, you know, then their behavior can change radically. I can testify. Right, right. Well, we know that in our own species. Okay, can you can imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, for example, your mate reproduced by fission, after the fission, which one is your mate? If both of them consider themselves to be your mate, how do they deal with the jealousy aspect? They're going to want you to choose. They might even engage in a battle to the death so that only one of them can have you. Asserting their dominance. Yeah, that's yeah. sexy. Yeah, listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the old days of the Commonwealth, that wouldn't actually been a problem. Walking machine, and two of you walk out. Oh, problem solved. They don't have that option now. One of the dangers of fission is that you know you may end up with 
two of them, you know, uh, identical who want you or the worst that could happen is, is that when they come out, they're both changed and neither of them wants you. So reproduction could actually be the end of your relationship. What's the, the budding method? Is there another term for the budding method? But that's fine. Budding makes sense. Yeah, but, but yeah, but in some cases it may take a while. So for a while there, you know, you're with your sweetie and junior. And junior's busy talking all the time while you're having, you know, time with your, with your loved one. I got another one for you. So you know I'm a big fan of Scott Sigler. He's got this race um, called the Prowat. And basically what they are, are are machines that have gained sentience and they have become a race. And each one of these machines that is considered a sentient being is made up of little machines. So they're little machines, I think, size of, say, the smallest Lego um, that you can imagine. The, uh, you know, the, the little one yeah. dot Lego, about that size. Yeah, it's, it's like, like those stick colony creatures like John was mentioning, sure. These guys... The, the little pieces, they all come together and they form this being. Voltron? No, well, kind of. Kind of <laughs> Voltron, but with, you know, a million pieces, a million okay. little lines. Right. Uh, but, but apparently once they get enough of these little these little things together, the computing power adds up to enough to, to form a personality. Now, where I'm going with this is when they want to procreate, what they have to do is they have to build up enough of these guys and they split in half. And when they do that – their personality changes. They actually, who, who they were ceases to exist and they can also do a merge and the same kind of thing happens. If they merge, both of those individuals cease to exist and a new individual is created. Isn't that kind of a net loss? You went from two to one, didn't you? Yeah, but you double your computing power. So is this th- kind th- of like, uh, like Tuvok and Neelix merging to become Tuvix? I have no idea, but if, if the two of these come together, their computing power goes through the roof. It's not just double. It's like some super multiple fraction. So they become this more enlightened being. However, they have to get, they both each have to give up who they were before. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting way of, of thinking about it. Uh, imagine if you had a race, something like that, like uh, maybe an amoeboid race where he could, you know, he's asexual. He could split in half and, and, and reproduce. Like uh, I think uh, Star Frontiers had that, didn't they? The drow- the dralocytes, yeah. Imagine if they split in half, and each one of those halves is a new person. So who the, the person it was before is no longer that person. Maybe they have uh, remnants of that original being, like genetic memory. Yeah, like like some genetic memory, like that you could see the traits, like like kind of like you know you could see father to son, where like um you could say oh he's so much so much like his father, and that's what these two creatures would be like. People would remember the two of them when they were one. And and be like, yeah, you you're a lot like your former self, or you know, your maybe they would refer to it as their father. I don't know. I was just thinking of uh, another example of a creature that well basically sp- spreads its memory out and, and recombines it is the thing from John Campbell's story. Who's who goes there? I mean, it's it's basically it's like you said, it takes on whatever shape it needs and transfers memories around as it, as need be, so it can form multiple individuals or come back together again as one big individual. So, yeah, that's, of course, you know, in that relationship, yeah, you become the thing. So there's, you know, no going back in that one. Uh. There's also uh, a real big problem with uh, species that have that Black Widow aspect. 
Okay, you, you might have this great relationship. Everything's cool. You're loving each other, stuff like that. And she says, hey, let's have a baby. You say, cool, let's do it. And she eats your head. Yeah. <laughs> and she has dozens and dozens of babies, but, you know, hey. It's uh, Black Widow spiders, manises. You know, there may be some very dangerous aspects to having uh, a, a physical relationship with some species. What if they have barbs? Had barbs that, that were retractable, but in the moment of, of ecstasy, suddenly extended? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be something like that. Or a, a being that... Well, mm. don't male cats have a barb at the tip of their... I wouldn't know. No, it is a fact. <laughs> they do. Male cats have barbs. There are a lot of animal peni that are in various shapes, and some of them do have barbs. The Muscovy duck, it's actually corkscrewed, and the female vagina on that duck actually can close up if it's not receptive to the male that it's it's at. So yeah, genitalia on animals, you know, they are in various sizes and shapes and, and configurations. You probably need, for some of these various interspecies relationships, it would call just on the basis of biology some type of mechanical interface or whatnot in order to facilitate a physical relationship. Yeah, especially. I mean, well, I'm sure with reproduction, then that, that would be in, in uh, fringe or the FTL would be a technological base and in bureau 13 it would be probably a magical aid would be involved for said thing a lot of cases you know it's not as hard as as we make it seem because you know reproduction and sex uh, or especially orgasm really don't necessarily have to have anything to do with each other uh as far as being being able to complete the uh impregnation of your partner in the uh the industry of of pig raising. When they decide to do the impregnation, what they do is that they spray the area with a pheromone, which causes the female sow to become receptive. Then the operator has to hop up on her hindquarters, just sit there because that's what she's expecting. And that causes another thing to allow her to be prepared. And then he just takes the sperm injector and uses it and bam, she's pregnant. And if all you were trying to do is become pregnant with your mate, I'm sure there's ways that are much simpler than you know, some of the things that we've suggested. Yeah. It's really when you're trying to become satisfied in a physical relationship with an alien species, I think where it becomes a, quite a bit more complicated. If during reproduction you produce a ton of offspring, then that kind of thing is fine, okay? Where the one side, you know, the male or the female, whichever is the non-egg carrier dies okay it's when you have the situations like we do with mammals where not only are you causing conception but you're also needing to be around thereafter to protect the female as she carries the child because she's going to become more and more immobilized as a result of the pregnancy and a further expectation to help raise the child after it's born the more you do that the more important it is for longevity you know, in, in between the both sides of the thing. So uh, in the cases where you have one or two offspring from a mating pair, 
it's very, very unlikely that somebody would die as a result of it, unless we're talking about some kind of really bizarre interspecies type thing where normally it wouldn't happen, but because you're not the appropriate species, you're in grave danger. I can tell you right now, if, if you're a female and uh, and you fall in love, like a female human, and you fall in love with a, um, I don't know, an alien bed bug, don't, don't even, don't. <laughs> I'll remember that. Thank you, Blick. Yeah. They stab their mate with their part and just inject the stuff wherever it goes. Yeah, I'll remember that. And somehow it works. I I I don't know how that works, but I, I can't imagine it's that enjoyable. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of creatures don't require the large scale life support system that human reproduction requires. I mean, some of it you just basically have an egg and you're placing it in an environment that's rich in oxygen. You know, which could be a bloodstream, could be the inside of a body cavity. When the egg hatches, then there's a very good likelihood that the uh, carrier at that point is going to die. Like alien. Yeah, like alien. It's going to burst out of your chest. That's right. Yeah, alien was fine with that. Yeah, and, and, and we're being nice here. We're talking about male-female connections, but there's also well, male-male and female-female sure. uh, connections too. So yeah, hermaphroditic. Yeah, yeah. I They're remember both. reading a book, uh, Dream Snake where dream snakes are supposed to be a very rare breed of snake that their venom heals instead of cause, causing pain. And the only way that they can reproduce is in a three pairing, a, a triad instead of two. And that's mm. why they were so rare, because they kept trying to breed them in pairs instead of in triads. Uh, okay, so they basically had a flaw in their breeding program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, getting back to um, the issues of the love that dare not speak its name, what about uplifted animals? Mm. Here you are, you know, you, you've taken, you know, uh, a, a species of, let's just go for dog. Are we talking anthropomorphic? No, not necessarily. They could simply be an, a dog that's now human intelligence. Yeah, Pip, in a hardwired hinterland, they have, and, and John refer. Animals with a capital A. Those are the ones that are, they are an, an animal, like a dog, but sentient. And some may anthropomorphize, some may not. Some may just simply get thumbs, and that's about it. You know. In a lot of cases uh, in Hardware Hairland, they walk around like a normal animal, but they can raise themselves up, and they can like you know put their hands on things and read stuff and move stuff around. So they have a lot of the human-type behavior manipulations depending upon what they have on as a manipulative appendages. But, you know, they can sit in a chair, for example. They could smoke a pipe, you know, but otherwise they might still walk around like an animal. You know, so you have all kinds of things going on. But so it's, it's a little, probably a little bit easier in hardware here, land because their society is used to it. But in our world where these are animals that used to be animals, but we made them intelligent. And then someone says, well... It's more intelligent than half the guys I date. So why can't I have a relationship with this animal just because it's a different species? What's wrong with that? I can see all kinds of, you know, repercussions of the, you know, um, the Luddite type relationship saying, you know, hey, now wait a second, that was not the intent of this. And 
you know, it, it doesn't have a soul and, and all that kinds of other things happening. Yeah, in FTL 2448, they are the uplifted, uh, well, primates, orangutans, chimpanzees, gorillas, and dolphins. And uh, maybe dolphin might be more, you know, I hate to say this because human prejudice, but dolphins are far enough away that pe- most people wouldn't mind. But, you know, you come home with a gorilla. There may be a few people, you know, you know, making references that, you know, we used to hear, you know, say back in the 60s or 50s. Yeah. Some species may not be politically correct to go out on a date with. Right. Uh, in, in the first Planet of the Apes movie, all of the apes consider humans to be a, a, a almost non-intelligent species until Taylor, uh, the main character, shows up from another planet and exhibits all the intelligent behaviors. He speaks, he walks upright, he wants to wear clothing, he wants dignity and things like that. And and at the end of it, you know, he's he's he gets the one of the chimpanzees to kiss him. And her reaction is I don't mind except you're just so ugly. <laughs> So they're they're trying to cross that that boundary right there, and and she's having that problem where she understands that he's a, an intelligent species and should be tr- and, and is somebody could who could be loved, but she's trying to wrap her head around the fact that every other example of his species on the planet is from early training been considered to be something that isn't even nearly appropriate in the realm of any kind of relationship like that without, you know, without it being bestiality. I can see a lot of problems on Earth. Look at the problems we have with, you know, the various, you know, other religions that are on Earth, including Christianity, which just, just, just some of the stuff that's going on. And I could just imagine what Earth would just go crazy when all of a sudden Ida explorers start coming back with mated pairs of other species. Just because the culture accepts Okay, there are alternate planes. We still have a lot of deep ingrained things. Humans, you know, the whole thing with most humans don't like bugs. And here comes a human back with a Demixi mate or spouse. Oh, that will cause all sorts of uproar. I mean, they would just, you know, there's, you know, oh, you're a bug lover and all this. Yeah, I could see just a lot of things going to hell in a handbasket with uh, fringe travelers coming back with alien spouses. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Earth Prime. At what point does UN acknowledge that the Mixie and the Tazil and the, the, the Blizzness are sentient beings worthy of protection under the law? Yeah. Are they humans by the legal definition of humans? Yeah. I mean, at some point, it may actually be bestiality until such they get legal protection. And maybe not all member states would go along with that. I hate to say this. There's. Several Christians, several Islamic uh, states would not, you know, pass that, would, would not acknowledge that relation, that, that they're sentient beings. Yeah, more fundamentalist religions would just be like, uh, no. Yeah. We, t- we talk about, you know, reasons why Earth might become uh, a kind of a backwater, a non-important aspect in the late campaign. This could be one of the factors where they just refuse to deal with the interspecies possibilities out there and the rest of the commonwealth goes you know we don't we don't need this kind of you know trash talk from you earth prime 
I could I could easily see a, uh, a Roman emperor with at least one or two uh, you know Tzeal brides by his side as a status symbol. Well, yeah, I mean, because they because they, they you know they already have concubines and wives by the hundreds. Why wouldn't they want a wife of every species that comes onto the world? I mean, other worlds might be offering them up as a as a political kind of alliance. Yeah. Whether or not anything ever actually happens between the two doesn't change the fact that legally, that alien is now his wife, yep. or her or her husband. Yeah. I'd say Victorians would probably be just as bad as Earth Prime when it comes down to interspecies uh, relations. Worse. Uh, yeah, worse. Yeah. Definitely worse. You have to admit, though, it never stopped it from ever happening in both Earth Earth Prime and Victorian Earth. It's just that it was never publicly acknowledged as happening. With the fringe-worthy, it would be the next great civil rights issue. Because it, as time goes on in, well, the early campaign is pretty much now in like the next five years. Middle campaign, late campaign... It wouldn't be GBLT rights. It would end up being... Xenophile rights. Entity rights. Entity rights. Okay, that'll work. Yeah. Okay, they are considered the same as humans because they don't have a human... I mean, it would be a problem for the Victorians, the Golden Horde, the Pax Romana Universa, the Eriters, the Norlanders. They would all be seen as human because they are all human physiology. It would be the next great civil rights battle in Fringeworthy of, okay, the Demixie, the Blizzniz, you know, the Tazeel, are they... Kegax. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Hey. And then going Spargs and all that. And the old Meller. Yeah. I think, I think those would not come up as often because they're so rare. Right, but we have, a, we have a story where an old Meller and a female human, he impregnates her. Ah. And, they, and she has a pair of boys as a result. And the end of the story is is that they figure that these boys are going to be very special, but no one really knows what's going to happen with them. Mm. And there's also old men. The old men, they're Neanderthals. Technically, some people may, may get a little parsimonious about whether or not they're humans or not, even though they are of the hominid species. So that would be an area issue as well. Are, 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 the, are the old men, which includes some old women, you know, human? That would be another place where they, it gets really touchy-feely. At that point, because they are distinct, a, a distinct, different species of of, of hominid. Yeah, as I, as I said, I think entity rights in in Fringeworthy in like the late middle and late campaign would be the next great legal rights battle. In that case, then Unita would have probably various types of I wouldn't say PR, but just various entities that would allow for equal rights for Demixie on Earth. It's like, okay, you've brought home a Demixie mate. You have proven that there is an attraction, and you may even be mated by the Demixie ritual. You, the Demixie, on the Demixie homeworld, you may be legally married. That would be the next great legal battle. Same entity rights for fringe races on Earth Prime. Mm-hmm. No matter whether you're playing Fringeworthy or you're playing Bureau 13 or Hardware Hinterland or... Incursion 1 or 2, or FTL 2448, or any other game that you might want to play, the possibility of love is there for your character in the myriad of forms it can take. And we just want everyone to know that it's worth the journey, it's worth the trouble to find that special someone, and we hope that this 
particular podcast has helped you see some of the issues and encouraged you to press on and go where no man has gone before. And with that, thank you, and we'll see you next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.